In the holy name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Time. Time is a tricky subject, isn't it? We'd like to think that time is an objective phenomenon. After all, there are 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour, 24 hours in a day, and 365 and a quarter days in a year, right? That seems to be pretty objective. Oh, sure, a particular clock or watch might run fast or slow, but we have atomic clocks to keep time more accurately now. There are even light clocks that use a beam of light to measure time. You can't get more accurate than a beam of light, can you? And yet, Einstein famously argued that time is relative. Now, I'm no physicist, so I'll give you the easy version of this theory. Einstein said that time is relative to the person experiencing it. The further the distance between two people and or the closer to the speed of light affects their perception of time. So, for example, someone on the bottom of the ocean would be milliseconds different than someone in orbit around the Earth. Granted, they probably wouldn't notice the difference without precise instruments to tell them. The more interesting phenomenon with time involves the speed of light. Einstein posited that if a crew were to launch a spaceship from Earth and it were to approach the speed of light, time would slow down for them. So if they went on a one-year expedition, for example, they would age one year, but the folk back home might have aged 10 years. One of my favorite literary genres is speculative fiction, especially science fiction. And science fiction authors love to write stories involving time and what it would be like for a human crew to travel away from the Earth at near light speed for a decade and then come back and a whole century has passed on Earth. And then, of course, there's time travel, but we're not going to go there. That's when things get really weird. But setting aside the theory of relativity and the imaginations of science fiction lovers, we don't experience time objectively. We experience it subjectively. How many of us have had the experience of doing a monotonous or difficult task, and it feels like time has slowed to a crawl? We can all think of classes we've taken where the clock seems to be advancing at a glacial pace. Recently, my workouts have involved a lot of high-intensity interval training with running and rowing and weightlifting, and it's amazing how long 30 seconds can feel when you're sprinting as fast as you can. Then, of course, we have those moments when time speeds up for us. We have a delightful dinner out with friends, and it feels like the evening is ending mere moments after it started. And I don't know why Einstein didn't also say that time speeds up the older you get, because obviously that's a fact. Any of us over a certain age know that the years slip by much faster now than they did in our younger days. Our gospel writers certainly don't treat time objectively in their accounts of Christ's life. Matthew and Luke offer infancy narratives and then speed up to Christ's thirties when his public ministry began. We see time dilate even in the account of his public ministry. Many more chapters are devoted to the last couple weeks of his life than to his entire public ministry before that. 
It's as if time focuses in and spotlights his final days. And of course, the gospel writers did that on purpose. In today's gospel narrative, Jesus has entered Jerusalem. He's in those final days of his life. John offers Christ's prediction of his upcoming death. We see a very human moment for him. Now my soul is troubled. He knows the end is near. Why is his soul troubled? Did Christ fear death? I don't know, but I have a hard time believing that that was the source of him feeling troubled. Did he know that he would miss his disciples? Maybe. Did he know how much his pending absence would disturb his disciples? Very likely. We don't know exactly why Christ is troubled, but we do know how he responds to it. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It is for this reason that I come to this hour. Christ knew that he had the opportunity to avoid what was about to happen to him. He could have just left Jerusalem and all would have been well. He could have disbanded his disciples and gone off on his own to live a long, leisurely life. But he knew that was not his calling. He knew that he was called for this particular hour. The time of his life had propelled him to this hour. And this wasn't his 15 minutes of fame either. It was about bringing glory to the Father. Father, glorify your name. No doubt time had slowed for Christ. It all came down to this hour. The martyrs of Memphis must have felt similarly. The four Episcopal sisters, sisters Constance, Thecla, Ruth, and Francis, and two clergy, Charles Parson and Louis Schuyler, remained in Memphis, Tennessee when the yellow fever hit for the third time in 10 years. When thousands had fled the city, they stayed to provide care to the sick and dying. And eventually, the plague took their lives as well. When they arrived in Memphis years earlier, they probably had no idea that an hour would come when they would be called to stand for the mercy and compassion of Christ. But I believe during this horrid month, as they remained in the midst of a terrifying plague, they knew their hour had come. We don't know when our hour may come. For Christ, he knew as he was drawn toward it, but that happens very rarely. Most of us are like the martyrs of Memphis. We're going about our lives when that hour comes upon us suddenly. We are called to serve in a way that stretches us beyond our normal limits. Perhaps that hour may take our lives as it did Christ and the martyrs of Memphis. Perhaps not. But it will ask a great deal from us. How do we prepare for that hour? We remain faithful. As the season of Advent reminds us, us, we faithfully watch, we faithfully serve. God does not call us to be the most brilliant person. God does not call us to be the most pastoral person. God does not call us to be the most pious person. God calls us to be faithful. And faithfulness involves a proper focus. I think had Einstein gone to seminary, he not only would have said that time is relative, but also that seminary is relative. 
You see, one of the great temptations in seminary is to lose our focus. Our focus needs to remain constant if we are to be faithful to God, but it's very easy for our focus to shift to those things that are not constant. Grades are an easy shift in focus. For you that are going through the ordination process, much of it seems so out of your control. I remember this feeling very well. Therefore, when we come to seminary, it's easy for us to believe that the one thing that is in our control is our grades. I can work really, really hard in my classes and get good grades. But what has become our focus? Has it shifted to something variable, something less constant? Oh yeah, grades are definitely not a constant in life. Another shift in focus during seminary can be towards others in our community. Maybe we begin to focus on the faculty, particularly a favorite member of the faculty. Or maybe we begin focusing on our peers. Wow, look at that person. She seems so pious. Or look at that person. He seems to get all the right answers in class. Or look at that person. She seems so much more pastoral than I am. And let me reassure you that we on the faculty face the same kinds of temptations. Look at that person. She's written so much more than I have. Look at that person. The students just seem to love him. Look at that person. She gets everything done on time and in triplicate. Just like time, seminary can become very relative. And if we allow our focus to shift from what is constant to what is variable, we can miss the hour to which God has called us. We can become so distracted that we're no longer faithfully watching. So our focus needs to remain constant. And we know who should be that constant focus. Christ. If Christ is our focus, then we can be assured of constancy. But so many things can distract us from focusing on Christ. Thankfully, he provides us with the grace through the Holy Spirit to gently nudge our focus from those distractions and back to him. God does not ask us to be the most brilliant, pious, or pastoral person, but God does ask us to be faithful. Like Christ, like the martyrs of Memphis, an hour will come when we are asked to live into that faithfulness. Perhaps it will cost us our lives, perhaps it won't, but it will be costly. If we've kept our focus on Christ, gently returning when that focus wavers, he will provide us with the grace to meet that hour. And God will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant.